Our scripture reading is Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 through 15. And our sermon today is entitled, The Gospel According to Abraham, Learning to Laugh. This is the Lord's word. And the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sails of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard or too wonderful for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, Sarah, Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. As we continue our series on the gospel according to Abraham, we come to this story, which is not primarily about Abraham, but actually it's primarily about Sarah. In the passages before, we've seen God interacting with Abraham promising him the covenant that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky or as the sand in the seashore, that through him all nations would be blessed. When God appears to Abraham, you see God appearing in holiness, really above all else. He comes at this smoking fire pot saying, listen, I will keep my covenant with you. And in those stories, you see God, big, holy, 
frightening, perhaps. This God that Abraham met was the God, the same God, Yahweh, that appeared to Moses and appeared to the others beforehand. Now, in contrast to the story, we have the story about how Sarah met God. And this story is a bit different. And there's some lessons here for, for us to learn about our own encounters with God. The first is this, is that Sarah needed to meet God face to face. Sarah herself had to encounter God face to face. Sarah could not rely simply on Abraham's encounter with God for her own faith. Sarah cannot simply say, well, Abraham, you're my husband. You have seen God several times already. You trust and believe in him. Because I trust and believe in you, I guess I'll just follow you. In our lives today, there are many, many people who will come to church or come to the Lord or, or come to say, I know Jesus, but they haven't encountered the Lord yet. They simply are going with other people who have encountered the Lord. But they themselves have not met God face to face. And Sarah needed to meet God face to face. Sarah needed to say, this Yahweh is my Yahweh, not just my husband's. Sarah had to say that this God was my God, that I know him face to face, and not just my husband. In many ways, for all of us, our faith has to be our own. We do not God, know God simply because mom and dad brought us to church and they knew God. Neither do we know God just because our, our friends know God and we like our friends. But we ourselves, as God's children, need to encounter him face to face. And so God was gracious to finally appear to Sarah and to show him, I am your God. But there's a contrast here. God did not appear to Sarah as this big holy God as this flame of fire but God appeared to him her as an angel one of these three guests who came later on in the passage in verse 10 it says the Lord said Yahweh said the angel of the Lord was God himself manifested as an angel a theophany and God himself seemed like a normal person simply discussing with Sarah about the promise of the birth of a child. Brothers and sisters, all of us will encounter God in different ways. And God will manifest his promises and love for us in different ways. I know that there are many parents who will always come to me and say, Pastor Young, your children go to your church now. Or my, sorry, my children go to your church now. Make sure they come to know the Lord. 
or they'll call me up and say, can we have lunch? And say, listen, you remember when my son or daughter was in your youth group? They don't go to church anymore. Can you reach out to them? And I'm sure you've had friends say the same thing to you, maybe about you <laughs> or asking you to visit someone who hasn't gone to church for a while. And in many ways, when we, when we talk about people like that and when they ask me or they ask you to visit them, we, we have in mind a certain type of experience that they need to have in order to know the Lord. And oftentimes we project our own interactions with God and say, this is how you need to know, need to meet the Lord. X, Y, and Z. Step one, two, and three. But God appears to different people in different ways. For some of you, you came to know the Lord because you had a deep, deep dread of punishment and sin. And you understood the judgment of God so deeply that when you came to the cross, what you saw was forgiveness. And God met you there. For some of you, you met God because you were lonely, without friends, without fellowship, without anyone really knowing who you were. And you were longing for someone to know your heart fully and completely. And then you met a God who said, I know you. I made you. I fashioned you. I love you as you are. And that Christ became real to you. Both encounters are fine. And both encounters will eventually lead us all to the same place at the cross. And those who fear judgment will start to experience the love and fellowship of God. And those who first experience the love and fellowship of God will start to see the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world. And together at the cross, we will worship the same Jesus. You see, our God is not a God who gives a template about how to, to know him. Our God is a God who enters into each and every one of your worlds personally. And our duty before the Lord is simply to come to him and let him meet us and let us meet him. Now here is something interesting about Sarah. The Lord says to him, listen, about this time next year, you will finally be with a son. And this is, this is so comical, right? We should do a skit on this. I don't know who would be who, but we should do a skit. Sarah was listening on. And Sarah started to laugh. How can I, who is advanced in years, have a child? I am worn out. My Lord or my husband is old. Should I still have pleasure? In other words, she was so old that she was unable to have children, but also she and Abraham were so old that they did not have the pleasures of a husband and a, and a wife as well. 
And so Sarah's encounter with the Lord is not one of faith, right? It's one of unbelief. And Sarah simply basically said, this is impossible. And she starts to laugh. This type of laugh in our world today is a laugh of cynicism. It's a laugh of hopelessness. It's a laugh that we hear much in our world today, unfortunately. It's a laugh because we can't laugh at anything beautiful anymore. Because that which we see is beautiful, all we see behind it is the darkness and its death. We all know the myth of Sisyphus, the guy who rolled the rock up the hill, only for it to come back down, only for him to take the rock, move it back up, only for it to come back down. Now think about this. If you were a person of hope, if you were a person who thought that this punishment was unjust, your heart would feel sorrowful, sadness, and pity for that man. Because you, in the deepest recesses of who you are, believe that, come on, next time you get that rock up there, it's going to stop. But what happens when that hopefulness is gone? What happens when we see nothing but meaninglessness? What happens when we see empty promises? What happens when we see or hear people say, I will do X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z never gets done? Our hearts don't break anymore. There's no more sorrow. There's simply a cynical laugh that we all laugh at the absurdity the hopelessness of his predicament and perhaps ours as well. I remember ministering to college students up in Wisconsin and also in Philadelphia as well. And the one thing I always observed about these college students is in the beginning they were bright-eyed, right? And then later on when they were gathered together, Man, their speech was just so bad. <laughs> they, they talked about just the hopelessness of, of, of college and the hopelessness of life. They would talk about how difficult school was. And the speech became less about like, hey, let's, let's do this, and more about, let me tell you how much I'm suffering. And the other person would say, let me tell you how much I'm suffering. And then people start to, to laugh at each other's suffering. Sarcasm and cynicism start to, to breed. And even in these ministries of people who are Christian, you know, these people who know the Lord, the laughter was dark. 
this is Sarah. This, this is us. And then the angel of the Lord says to Sarah, listen, is anything too hard for me? Or the, the word there is, is, is difficult to translate. And in English, it's actually more like wonderful or miraculous. Is anything too miraculous for me? Is anything too wonderful for me? The translation in most, most um, English Bibles are, is anything too difficult for me? But you see, what, what happened to Sarah is what happens to a lot of people in our generation, is that we've lost the idea of wonderment. Because it is wonderment that allows us to see the hope that God has given us. It is wonderment and being in awe that allows us to move forward. There are two books I think that are two books I think are um, that tell a lot about your generation. One is Harry Potter. I, I heard a yes somewhere there, and the other is The Hunger Games. I think those two series sum up a lot about the culture of your generation today. One is The Hunger Games is a book of dystopia, is it not? The world is terrible. All the power is in one man who does not rule with kindness. It's a world that if many of us see, and as we read the book, we're like, hey, I see the world, I can see the world going that way. The whole genre of dystopian science fiction has continued to accelerate in our culture today. I'll start with 1984 for most of you, right? Eighth grade reading. In our hearts resonate with evil. Our hearts resonate with lawlessness. Our hearts resonate with things going down the tube because we see our own lives and we see the lives around us and we go, there's no way this world can hold together. We look at politics. We look at marriages. We look at business practices. There's no way this world can hold together. So for many of us, we, we, we've lost the wonderment or the naivete of thinking, listen, these businesses can really do good. These politicians could really do good. Listen, there's people in this world who can really do good. And Hunger Games feeds into that. But there's a part of us as human beings that cannot, that does not allow us to go down that road completely. There's always that hero, or in this case, that heroine that, that comes up. There needs to be someone who gives hope to humanity because we were made for hope. We were made to laugh for joy, not to laugh in cynicism. 
there's a wonderment of anyone and someone who will be the hero or heroine of a story. On the other hand, we have Harry Potter and that whole series. And that whole series does something very different. It, it takes us out of our world and puts us in another world. And if I look around here, I would say you are very educated people. I would look around here and I would say you are very bright people. I would say I look around here and you guys can say words that are more than two syllables. I look around here and I say you guys probably read articles, scientific journals and things that most of us would never understand what you're doing. And yet you love Harry Potter. <laughs> Think about that. Yet you love Harry Potter. Why? Because deep down inside of you, you were made for wonderment. You were made for goodness. You were made for hopefulness. You were made for eternity. Sarah lost that wonderment. Sarah saw his, her world falling apart. Perhaps you do as well. But in Genesis chapter 21, God fulfills his promise. And God gives Sarah a child. And Sarah names the child Isaac. And Sarah says, listen, I will call him Isaac. And the word Isaac means laughter. He called, named his, her child laughter. Think about that. And she says, basically, I can now laugh with the Lord. For the Lord has provided for me in my old age. And even people around me will laugh. But they will laugh with me or perhaps at me. For look at me, I'm an old woman weaning a child. Now, I don't know about you, but that is kind of a, a humorous thing. Nine-year-old woman weaning a child. But her laughter changed from that of cynicism to one of joy, to one of knowing that the Lord does provide. Some people often ask, how do I know when I've come to know the Lord? How do I know when Jesus is actually mine? How do I know that my faith is not my mom's faith, my friend's faith, my spouse's faith? How do I know when it's mine? This encounter gives us a glimpse. You see, when you come to encounter the Lord, the way you perceive yourself and perceive others, the way you are able to laugh, dictates what do you know of the Lord. Let me, let me explain. Let me explain. 
Sarah was able to look at her past and see one of the most painful moments of her life. I believe the most painful moment of her life was, was not, not having a child, was, but it was distrusting God that, God that God would give her a child. It was seeing God face to face or hearing God face to face and laughing at God. She remembers her past, but instead of looking at her past and going, woe is me, I can't believe I did that. Oh my goodness, God is never going to love me. God is always just going to put that in my face and say, remember when you laughed at me? Remember? remember. But she's able to look at the past and say, God's forgiven me. I'm going to name my child Isaac because when I look at my past, it no longer has a hold of me. And in fact, when I look at my present, my son, laughter gives me joy in knowing that God is the only hope in my life. When you become a Christian, when you come to know Jesus, there is a lightness in the way you treat yourself and you treat others. There is a sense of humor that comes into the believer. When you do wrong against the Lord and Satan is there to say, look, listen, you have wronged me. Instead of us going, oh my goodness, I am so devastated. God's going to hate me. I can't draw near to God anymore. What do we do? We ask for forgiveness, but we laugh. We go, yeah, how stupid am I to go against the Lord? How dumb am I to not follow his ways? It's the most illogical thing I've ever done. But I can laugh because I know Jesus has a hold of me and Jesus loves me. I can laugh and have a lightness because Jesus loves me and Jesus has a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, you need to do that not only for yourself but for one another as well. Have mercy on each other. God loves the people around here. When they sin against the Lord, you go, yeah, you need to go and ask the Lord forgiveness. But to laugh and know, gosh, I just can't believe God loves you. I can't believe God loves me. You see, a believer looks at themselves and doesn't say, I'm a believer because I've done X, Y, and Z. A believer looks at, them and looks at themselves and says, I'm a joke. <laughs> I can't believe God loves me. I can't believe God has saved me. Praise be to the Lord. Now you may say, lastly, that the, the, the lesson here is simply to be like Sarah. But it's not to be like Sarah. You might say the lesson here is to have faith like Sarah. If you have faith like Sarah, God will bless you with a child. That, that's not the lesson here. In fact, it's not a good reading of Scripture. Why? Because Sarah did not have faith here. Let's just say, Sarah did not have faith here. So the lesson isn't, don't have faith, and then God will bless you. That's not the lesson. The lesson here of how we apply this passage is that this passage of God's faithfulness to Sarah points us to Luke chapter 2. And God's faithfulness to another woman, Mary. What is more wonderful or more miraculous for someone like Sarah to have a child, for someone like Mary, who, was, who did not lie with her husband, 
to have a child. The angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and said, Your son, you will name him Jesus. Isaac was named so that, so laughter, so that Sarah could understand God's promises. But Mary named her child Jesus because Jesus was here, not simply for Mary, but for you, because he is the one who saves. It's Christ Jesus and Christ alone that allows us to take away our cynicism, take away our hopelessness, take away our sins. It's Jesus alone who faced hopelessness, faced frustration, faced cynicism, and yet did not have hopelessness. It is he who hung on the cross, who died for you and me, that when he was raised from the dead and, and now sits at the right hand of God, has given to each one of us his spirit, has given to each one of us eternal hope, and this hope does not fail. That gives us joy. This is the God that we worship. The one that's called he saves. He saved you. Brothers and sisters, those of you who are looking and seeking, God will meet you where you are. There's no one way. Just go to him and he'll meet you. For those of you who are hearts are heavy, and you have nothing but cynicism in your heart and hopelessness. Just do one of these Marty McFly things from Back to the Future, right? Go, hey, hey, wake up. God is good. God is the one who makes me laugh. Lord, let me laugh at myself. Let me laugh at the evil one trying to rest away my salvation. Let me laugh even at my own sins for thinking that these can separate me from God. Let me laugh, have a lightheartedness that the world may see that Jesus has come. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. You and you alone are God. There's no one else but you. Father, we confess that we are a people who who buy into this world and the cynicism of this world. It's what sells for some reason. On the news, entertainment, it's what sells. And it's reflective of the human condition for all of us. But even in the media, even in entertainment, there's always a glimpse of hope. For Lord, you have placed eternity in the hearts of all men and women. And this flame, Lord, that, that shines is a beacon for us to see that it is you, Jesus, who is the reason that we can have hope. It is you, Jesus, who is not a flame but a roaring fire in our hearts. And so we ask of you, Lord God, to help us to just come to you. Meet us, Lord God, and fill our lives with joy and laughter. In Christ's name we pray, amen.